tonight, would you open up to the book of Leviticus? We're going to continue to go through, again, as we take a look, as we, uh, <coughs> excuse me, study this incredible book. I've been uh, really enjoying our study in Leviticus. I'm always reminded, remember, when Jesus was tempted by Satan in, uh, in the wilderness, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth, mouth of God. And when we open up the book of Leviticus, over and over and over again, you're going to hear that phrase. And God said to Moses, and God said, and God said, all the way through as we've been looking, as we've opened this book. And the Lord is calling his people in the book of Leviticus to holiness. He's calling them to be set apart, that they're not supposed to just be exactly like everybody else, but they're to be set apart, not just to be set apart from something, but set apart to something else. When the Lord calls us to holiness, it's that we would step out from among the world, out from just how everyone else is, and step into, press into a relationship with Him. That we would know and experience all those things that God has intended for us in life. And the book of Leviticus really lays it out for us. He begins to delineate for us the difference between clean and unclean. Why does he tell us the difference? Because he wants us to understand that which is unclean will soil the clean. If we think that, that, that that's something that's only going to be spoken of in the Old Testament, we should be reminded of Paul's words. When he said, don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. For what fellowship does light have with darkness? Now, why would Paul say that? He says it because he knows that which is unclean soils the clean. It's not trying to point fingers and make someone feel more righteous or self-righteous. The concept is to recognize, hey, if I want to live my life holy before God, separated unto Him, then I have to think about these other things that I allow into my life. Because that which is unclean in our life is going to make us unclean. And so as he lays this out, we're going to see as we take a look tonight... Uh, we'll be in chapter 17, uh, 18, I think we're trying all the way to 24. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But we're going to be going through chapter 17 and 18 tonight. And we want to see, we want to we really understand, what is it that the Lord has for us? So many people, when they open up the book of Leviticus, for that matter, the Old Testament, they think, well, this is for them, that was for them, this doesn't have any... Uh, application to me today and that's not true man shall not live by bread alone but what every word every word that proceeds from the mouth of god so we want to apply that which god has given us that's what which the lord has laid out we want to see what is it lord that you have for us tonight as we take a look in chapter 17 so he begins in chapter 17 and the lord spoke to moses saying speak to aaron and to his sons and to all the children of Israel and say to them, this is a thing which the Lord has commanded saying, whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or lamb or goat in the camp or who kills it outside the camp, but does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from among his people. Now, as he begins, he lays out, hey, Moses, this isn't just for you. 
And Moses, this isn't just for the priests, but for all the children of Israel. And what's he talking about? What we're going to look at here in these first uh, four verses is something that later on in the book of Deuteronomy, God's going to revise. But here's what we need to understand. It took like one day for the Lord to get the children of Israel out of Egypt. It's going to be a 40-year journey to get Egypt out of the children of Israel. The children of Israel, when they would, when they would <coughs> slaughter their livestock, were used to, in Egypt, killing those livestock to false gods. It was, uh, it was offering them up as, uh, to an idol. They would slaughter, and then they would use that which was left over for meat for the family. That's how it was done. In fact, that practice still went on in Corinth, right? We studied in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this discussion that takes place over whether or not it was okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols. So, so the same thing was going on at that time. Well, here's what the Lord says. Here's what the Lord is calling them to. He's calling them to, hey, listen, every time you kill an animal for food, I want it to be a meal between me and you. Every time. Every time. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, when the children of Israel come into the land, and they're spread out throughout the whole nation of Israel, it's impractical to think that someone's going to travel from 100 miles to slaughter their, their sheep or goat for dinner that night and to come back again. That's not going to work. And so in Deuteronomy, prior to them entering into the land, the Lord's going to give them a revision. But as we look at this, we need to see... Here God is, he's given them this revelation of himself. And as the people draw near to him, they get to know him more. And what he wants from them right now, every meal is you and me. Every meal is us together. Well, folks, there's nothing different about that today. Every meal that we have is an opportunity for us to commune with the Lord. What did Paul say ultimately in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and 10? What did he say? He said, that for which you have given thanks, eat. It's yours. You've, you've given thanks to the Lord. Ultimately, if it's going to cause your brother to stumble, stay away from it. But otherwise, give thanks, pray, and eat. And as we look at this, here's what he's saying. Listen, I don't want you guys just going out and slaughtering your, your, your goats or your lambs and getting into the practice of offering those to idols as you did in Egypt. So I want you to be separated to me and here in that in the confines that they were in then it was a simple matter to get to the tabernacle all they had to do is bring it to the door of the tabernacle they would offer it as a peace offering a free will offering to the lord fat would be burned up before the lord the meat would be theirs and they would go partake of that there together in the holy place god together with them set aside hey we're gonna enjoy a meal together he wants the people to be focused, their minds to be focused on him. Now he goes on and lays out for us then in verse 5, to the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting to the priest and offer them as peace offerings to the Lord. Every meal, an opportunity for peace offering. Where in the past, keep in mind, where in the past they had been focused in offering those up to false idols. We're going to see which false idols in a moment. It would be Mendez or Pan. 
that they were offering those up to. Mendes is the Egyptian term. Pan is the Greek term. As we go on, it says in verse 6, Now, and the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and burn the fat for a sweet aroma unto the Lord. Communion with God is something that can take place at every meal. That's what he's talking about. Don't we have the opportunity at every meal today to commune with the Lord? We can if we'll set aside the time, right? It doesn't take all that long to give thanks. It doesn't take all that long to become in the practice of offering thanks for the food that you're about to receive or that you have received. Actually, the the Jewish tradition was to pray after the meal. But before or after, it doesn't make any difference that you had that opportunity to commune with God. Just as the peace offering. What was it to the Lord? A sweet-smelling offering. It was sweet. Why? Because it was free will. You came. We're having time together. We're sharing time together. So this is what God is calling his people to. Be holy. Set apart. Not like you were in Egypt. We're different now. Not worshiping false gods. Set apart unto me. Every time you, you kill, every time you kill an animal that would be brought to the Lord as a peace offering so that God would be able to be a part of that. Now he goes on in verse 7. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons. Now that word demons are in the King James Version. It's, it's uh, translated devils. It's the, it's the Hebrew term serim. Serim. It means hairy ones. Literally, it's a word used for goat. And keep in mind, I better not do that or I'll forget. Keep in mind that when they worship goats, what are we talking about? In the Egyptian term was Mendez. The Greek term was Pan. They would, you know that whole symbol, the idea we get for the devil today? Pitchfork and horns, red suit, long tail. comes from Pan. It comes from the beginning of, of the worship of Pan, the goat, the goat, which still today is a symbol in the occult for occultic worship. In fact, if you were at Caesarea Philippi, you may remember in the New Testament, Caesarea Philippi, Jesus is gathered with his disciples and he says to his disciples, hey guys, who do men say that I am? Standing at Caesarea Philippi, right by the headwaters of the Jordan River, set right beside where Jesus would have been, was a temple of Pan. Right where the headwaters of the Jordan came out. False worship, false gods all along the side of the cliff where the waters of the Jordan come flowing out. Jesus stopping alongside and saying, who do men say that I am? You remember the disciples said, well, some say you're, you're Elijah. Some say you're the prophet. Some say John the Baptist. But then Jesus made it personal, right? He said to Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, the declaration that Jesus is the Christ, the Mashiach, God in the flesh, the fulfillment of Genesis 22, Genesis 3.16, and a variety of other scriptures. And that all took place in the shadow of pan worship. In the shadow where they would be worshiping these demons. Listen to what he says in the rest of, of verse 7. After whom, <coughs> after whom they have played the harlot, 
This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. Hey, the point is, I don't want you worshiping the goat. I don't want you caught up in false worship. So every meal, you and me. Every meal, us together. Now, how does that work out for the children of Israel? I mean, surely they didn't fall into that type of worship, right? Well, let's go on a little journey. In 2 Chronicles chapter 11, if you want to turn there with me, 2 Chronicles eleven fifteen. I love it when we're st- our studies all come together. We're studying 1 Corinthians. We just went through these sections of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're, we're in uh, chapter 13 this Sunday. And we've been studying Isaiah, and here we are studying Leviticus, and they're all coming together. Why? Well, listen, in Isaiah eleven fifteen, the nations have divided. The northern tribes, the ten northern tribes have gone to the north. The two southern tribes have gone to the south. Israel is divided into two. Israel, or Ephraim, is what's known as the northern kingdom. Judah is what's known as the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is wrapped up in idolatry. Look at Second Chronicles eleven fifteen. Then he appointed for himself priests for the high places, for the demons, the serim, the hairy ones, the goat, the worship of Mendez, the worship of Pan. That's what they're doing. That's who they're they're worshiping. They're in the northern kingdom for the demons and the calf idols which he had made. Those calf idols, folks, they actually put in the land of Dan. In fact, today, if you ever go on a trip with me to Israel, we'll go to Dan and you'll see where they put the the golden calves. Not the golden calf when they crossed the Red Sea, but after they were there, they went back to that false worship again. The Lord laid this out in Leviticus. Why? So that they would be holy. Leave the old, come to the new. You and I, in our lives, we give our lives to Jesus Christ. We need to make a break from the old and we need to realize I am no longer that person. I am now a new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has ordained beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are making a break from the past, stepping into the future. It's the exact same thing that we're reading about here in Leviticus. So they set up these false gods and look, verse 16, and after the Levites left, Those from all the tribes of Israel, such as set their heart to seek the Lord God of Israel, they came to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. Maybe you've heard that statement of the ten lost tribes. Well, what this scripture tells us is that's a fallacy. There was no such thing. The northern kingdom went up and they worshipped the goat and they worshipped the calf. And what did it say? First, the Levites left. Who were the Levites? The priesthood. They left. And then everyone who wanted to serve the Lord God. What did God always say? He says, I always have a remnant. A remnant. Those who believe. So those who believe from every single tribe, those who believed moved to Jerusalem, to Judah. And those who were in rebellion against God went north to worship the goat. And the calf. Those in the northern kingdom are going to go into, uh, into bondage to the nation of Assyria, a cruel nation. Those in the south ultimately will go into bondage to Babylon, which was a center of idol worship in the ancient world. And God's going to cure them in Babylon. When they leave Babylon, 
They're done with idols. They'll be finished with idols. So, that's what he's doing. And way back here in Leviticus, at the beginning, he's saying, this is how you keep yourself out of trouble. You make a break from the old life and you step into the new. You make your life focused around the Lord God. Hey, do I have to go to church to be saved? No. But going to church, does that strengthen my walk? Yeah. Having opportunities to serve, does that make me uh, uh, more saved or more holy? Not necessarily, but what it does is strengthen you for your daily walk, for the daily grind to keep you like the northern kingdom from going back to the old life and not walking in the new. And that's what he's talking about here in Leviticus, that we would step away from the old and walk in newness of life. In verse 8 in Leviticus 17, he said, Also you will say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who dwell among you, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice, and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among his people. Okay, the first thing was when you eat. Let's make sure we have all our meals built around the Lord. That's what he's telling them. Now he says the burnt offering. Here's what folks were saying. Hey, listen, you know, I, I worship God my own way. And I can worship God while I'm out fishing. I can worship God while I'm out playing golf. I can worship God wherever I am. So, so I'm going to offer my offerings my own way. What, what's the Lord saying? If you're offering a burnt offering, that's offering a consecration to God, being committed to the Lord, he says, you do that at the tabernacle. Hebrews says it like this. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is a manner of some, and so much more as you see the day approach. The closer we get to the return of Jesus Christ, the closer we get, we need to realize we need endurance. Where do we gain endurance? When we gather together. Because when we gather together... We're looking for opportunity to edify one another, to exhort one another, and to comfort one another. What, how do we put it on Sunday morning? Build up, stir up, cheer up. That's the call to come together corporately and worship. That's what it's about. To be strengthened, to be encouraged, to be loved on, to be prayed with, to be prayed for, to have those opportunities to gather together. So the Lord says, listen, don't you settle yourself off and say, I'm going to bring my burnt offering to my own altar. Well, isn't that how Abraham did it? Yeah. But we're beyond that time now, aren't we? Abraham had his own family. Maybe numbering 300 people. How many does Moses have? Oh, somewhere between a million and a half to two million, depending on whose estimates you, you use. Anyway, you look at it, we're talking about a large group of people. And the Lord is saying, listen, no, you guys aren't just going to go out on your own. you got to come. you got to gather corporately. you got to get, did it make them saved? No, it didn't make them saved. It made them strong. There's a difference. When I coach football, I share with you probably 10,000 times. I coach football, <clears throat> maybe in another year or so, I'm going to start missing it and make, try coaching again. We'll see. But when I coach football, all the time I would have kids come to me. Hey, coach, you know, do I have to be a part of your weight program to play football? And I would say, no, you play football without being a part of it. Well, you could say you play football. You won't be playing football. But you could be on the team. 
Well, why, coach? What's the problem? I said, listen, because I'm going to make sure you're prepared for the game. And the only way I can make sure you're prepared for the game is make sure you're there for your workouts. You're exercising. You're exercising your muscles, preparing your body, getting ready for the game. How is church different than that? We gather together corporately to be strengthened. We gather together corporately to be encouraged. We gather together corporately so that we can help one another with the problems and the struggles that we face. So when we do that, we need to realize, did it make me saved? No. What did it make me? Strong. It made me strong. Well, you know, Jackie, I went to church once and then people just irritated me. Good. What did that irritation do? That irritation rubbed off some of your rough edges. That irritation rubbed off some of their rough edges. That irritation made you stronger. Every challenge we face, every difficulty that lies before us, makes us better. We have need, the scripture says, of endurance. And that endurance is learned together. What happens in family? We have to learn to get over our problems in family, don't we? Because the next day when I wake up, they're still my kids. So we're going to work through those issues because that's what you do as a family. And that's what the Lord is laying out for His children in the book of Leviticus. Don't run around and offer your sacrifices wherever. You bring them to my house. You bring your sacrifices to the tabernacle. Now later on when they come into the to the nation of Israel, they're going to go bring those sacrifices three times a year to Jerusalem. But the rest of the time, the rest of the time, where do they have their corporate worship? At the synagogue. When they gather together to pour over the word. Same thing was true at that point as God's people grew, moved forward, and entered in to the land that God had designed for them. So this is what he's talking about as we take a look. And so... As he speaks of the burnt offering, this is how he wants our focus to be. Well, as we consider that for, for just a second, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll see, because Paul, in 2 Corinthians, is going to lay it out for us as well. What's he telling us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6? Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, what communion with light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part as a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. By the way, quotations from a variety of places, several of them from Leviticus, in the New Testament, written by Paul, saying the same thing to us. Come out from among them. Be separate. Gather together. Focus together with me. He goes on now in verse 10. Now, Whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and I will cut him off from among the people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Man, this predates our understanding of life in the human body 
by a thousand years at least. In fact, as little as a couple of hundred years ago, we killed the president by bleeding him to death. Because we believed that the disease was in the blood. And so, we drained the blood to get the disease out. How'd that work? Not too good. Not too good. What did the Bible say a thousand years earlier? Life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. And more than just physically that our life is in the blood, but that our ability to receive life is in the blood. Whose blood is he talking about? It's not the blood of lambs and goats. It's the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us that we might experience a remission of sin. He died so that by his blood we could be made clean. Now, Jesus is going to lay out for, for the, the, the church, for his disciples. He said, unless you eat of my flesh or drink of my blood, you have no part of me. What's he talking about? Is he talking about actually eating his flesh, cannibalism, drinking his blood, vampirism? Is that what he's talking about? Or, or is there more to it? Listen, he's saying, in order to have a relationship with me, it's deeper than just acknowledging the existence of God. It's deeper than coming together and worship. We must ingest he must become part of us when we eat that meal becomes a part of our body right it becomes part of our muscles it becomes part whatever the body uses the body's going to apply to the body right my body's been applying all kind of parts of the things i've been eating but the point is when jesus says unless you eat of my body or drink of my blood we say you've got to apply me into your life you have to ingest me i got to be a part of you that's how we guard against lip service right anyone can say i believe folks i'll be the first one to tell you the devil believes now what the scripture says the scripture says that the devil believes in god is he saved no no because he has no part of him What did Jesus say? Many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We healed in your name. And the Lord will say, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Why? For I never knew you. I never knew you. What's he asking for? We can look at the word. We can read the word. We could set the word up on a shelf and and worship the word. But the Word needs to become part of us. It's got to become a part of us. Jesus Christ has to become a part of us. The blood of Jesus Christ has to become a part of us. That's what makes us clean. And that's what Leviticus is saying. Life is in the blood. There's no life apart from Christ. Why is God so focused on the blood? Because the blood is life. And in order, in order to experience life, we have to experience the Lord. All life belongs to God. Therefore, the blood is His. That's the point that he's making. So that people wouldn't count the blood as a common thing. Because when you just think, it's no big deal, just a little bit of blood. That's how they thought about Jesus when they scourged Him. And His blood ran through the streets of Jerusalem. The most precious thing ever to touch the earth, running in the gutter with all the dirt and filth. 
Hebrews chapter 6, what does the Lord say? He doesn't want us to count his blood a common thing. Trampling through the blood of Jesus like it's nothing. So he emphasizes life is in the blood. So you don't eat it, it's mine. It's set apart to God, holy unto him. So as he lays this out, this is what he's saying. Hey, it's all mine. It belongs to me. Since life is in the blood, it is especially God's. So he says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood that makes atonement for souls. Hebrews chapter 9 tells us that Jesus went into the Holy of Holies in heaven and sprinkled the throne of God, the mercy seat, with his blood once for all. Once for all. Finished. Done. All we need to do at this point is ingest it. How do we do that today? We pray a prayer. Now, does that guarantee that it's done? It's got to be more than the the words that come out of my lips, right? It's got to be something that takes place in my heart. There's not like a magic word. It's not like abracadabra, poof, you belong to the Lord. It is that attitude that says, hey, man, I I not only am I saying these words, but I'm doing it. Lord, I, I surrender. I surrender to you. My life, yours. It's no longer I who live, but you who live in me. And then the Bible says, the blood of Jesus Christ washes you clean. And how does God see you from that moment forward? Perfected. Already perfected in Christ. When the Lord looks at you through the blood of Jesus Christ, does he see all your failures? According to Hebrews chapter 11, the answer is no. Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, he lists out all these great men and women of God who had failures in their life, but does he list any of those? Nope, he only lists their victories. He don't care about the failures. He sees his kids. What does is, what is Jude 24 say? Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his father without spot or wrinkle. That's what the blood does for us. That's what the blood accomplishes in our life. It makes atonement for the soul. It makes us right with God. I put my faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Not in my blood. My blood is stained with sin. It's not good for nothing. But the blood of Jesus Christ. I receive. I need the blood of Jesus Christ in my life. In order for me to be anything more than what I am. To be set apart from the old to the new. What do we need? The blood. What did they need? The blood. They needed the blood. And the blood would sacrifice the altar and make their soul right with God. Picturing what would take place when the Lamb of God came. Who was the Lamb of God? What did John the Baptist say when Jesus came for his baptism? Behold, what? The Lamb of God that takes away sin of the world. The world then, the world in the past, and the world today. Hebrews says, by the blood of one man, all sin has been abolished to all who will trust in his name. 
So as he goes on, he says now in verse 12, Therefore, I say to the children of Israel, No one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. He's saying, hey, even those guys, the, the slaves that you bought live in your house. They live by the same rules. Or they need to get out. Why? Because that which is unclean does what to the clean? It makes it dirty. It makes it unclean. It makes it unclean. I remember one time my, my oldest son, he, he came to me. He found a stray. I don't remember what her name was. But he found a girl. She came to the house. Dad, she don't have nowhere to live. Dad, we could, she stay in our trailer, you know, live with us till she gets on her feet. And, you know, I'm like, oh, hmm. uh, no. But dad, doesn't the Bible say we're supposed to help people out? Yeah. Well, then we need to help her out. No. Why not? And I had to sit him down and tell him, son, we'll do what we can to help her out and go find her someplace that she can stay. Turned out that that, that, that was relatively easy to do. But I told him, I'm not willing to sacrifice you for anyone else. Ever. God doesn't call us to reach out to wolves in sheep's clothing and sacrifice our children in the hopes that some will be saved. He calls us to train up our children the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. So our focus needs to be that type of a focus. Hey, doesn't the Scripture tell us that bad morals corrupt good ones? Evil company corrupts good morals. Isn't that what the Scripture declares? That What's that saying? Unclean makes clean unclean. So come out from among them and be different. And be different. There was a time in Kathy in my life where I was always doing the wrong thing all the time. Always drinking, partying, whatever dumb things I could possibly do, I was off doing those dumb things. And there came a point through all that stuff that I had to realize. I had to say, hey, you know what? I cannot go there with them anymore. Hey, Johnny, where, I can't hang out with you, bro. See you later. I'm going in a different direction. I can't go there no more. Oh, but Johnny's my bro. Well, good. You can ride with him all the way down to the gates of hell. Or you can decide, come out from among them and be different. Well, yeah, but I I don't want Johnny to go to hell. Nobody wants Johnny to go to hell. How am I going to keep him from going to hell? I'm going to keep him from going to hell by coming out living my life separated unto God and providing that example. And one day, Johnny comes to me or someone else and says, Hey, you know what? I need what you have. And now, Johnny's not going to hell. That's how it's done. But it doesn't happen by me going down into the sewer and hanging out. Because I'm going to look just like him in a matter of time. That's why God calls us, come out from among them. Be ye separate. Be different. Make a break from the old life and experience the new life of Christ. The new life that he has for us, that he wants us to enjoy. He says now in verse 13, Now whatever man of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, (coughs) who hunts 
and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he will pour out its blood and cover it with dust. Now, I heard something interesting when I, when I read this. And it's something really to try to, to wrap your mind around. He said to pour the blood out and cover it with dust. Treat it holy. But I think sometimes we get the idea that I am more holy than the dirt. Well, for example, think of a guy named Yuza. You remember Yuza? Yuza, here's David bringing the ark of the Lord, the ark of the covenant back to Israel. How did they do it? They put it on a cart. Is that how they were supposed to do it? No. But that's the choice that they made. They put it on a cart. And it hit a big crack, a rut in the road, and the, and the ark started to fall off. And Yuza touched the ark. And what happened? Killed him dead. Because God said, nobody touches the ark. Why did he touch the ark? He had the idea that I am more holy than the ground. Is that true? Not necessarily. Whenever we think I'm more holy than something else, we're going to be in error. The Lord says, let the blood run on the ground. That was God's plan. Not pour it down your throat, not take a big cup of your first kill and drink it and have the spirit of the animal living in you for forever and ever. Amen. Whatever. Hey, we all been there one time or another. Listen, what he says is you let that blood pour out on the ground because in the blood is life and that blood is for me. So you give that blood to me. We want to have the mindset that what God calls us to is holy, not what I think. Why? Well, it'd be better. It'd be, well, why let all that go to waste? Because God said to give it to him. To give it to him. For the ground is not more profane than I am. And I think that's what God wants us to realize and recognize. Verse 14. For it is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is its blood. Whoever eats of it shall be cut off. You know, if people had read the word of God and applied it to their lives, shoot, George Washington would have lived a whole lot longer than he did. Life is in the blood. But man knows everything, right? Because before, man used to say, oh, come on, we know. Science tells us that, uh, that, that the poison is in the blood. Run that out of them and they'll be good. Just like today, it says, well, you know, the scientific world tells us there's no way creation could ever take place. The reality is that evolution is a fact. Uh, no, sorry. Eek. Wrong answer. They call it the evolutionary theory for a reason. Theory because... It is a theory that will and can never be proven. They use circular logic to develop a geological table. That means they arbitrarily date rocks based on where they are. And then when they pick up a rock, they look at their chart and they say, where did we take this? Oh, yeah, so this rock is 800 million years old. Based on the circular logic of the geological table that they devised in their backyard, sitting around together thinking, I wonder how old this rock is. And they put all their faith and hope. And then, then man says, now come on, conventional wisdom tells us that the theory of evolution is the way it is. Hey, you know, if you believe in the Bible, that's just stupid. Well, it was 200 years ago they said the same thing about the blood. And who was right? The Bible. 
For the wisdom of God is greater than the foolishness of men. That's what we need to understand. We need to realize the word of God is true. Verse 15, And every person who eats what died naturally, or what is torn by the beast, whether he's a native of your own country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes, bathe in water, and be unclean until evening, then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he will bear his guilt. What's he talking about? Roadkill. That's what he's talking about. An animal that died naturally, you just stumble across a dead rock chuck. Oh, well, maybe I want rock chuck burgers tonight. Well, he said, if you pick it up, if you handle it, if you decide you're going to eat it, you make sure you wash. Why? Because if the rock chuck's going to make you sick, that's fine. Just don't make anybody else sick. You wash, you're unclean until morning. If you're still alive in the morning, hey, it was all right. So the, the Lord laying out the rules. You never, want, you, you never know what you're going to find in the Word of God. The rules for eating roadkill laid out for us. Now, chapter 18. And you guys might be here all night because the clock says it's only 9 o'clock. I'm assuming that's 9 o'clock in the morning. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which... If a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. What's God saying? He's saying, listen, if you'll take my word, apply my word, you're going to find life. If you take my word and you don't apply it, you're going to find everything that the rest of the people have found. He said, not like the Egyptians, not like the Canaanites. That's the context of what we're looking at in verse 18 or in chapter 18. He's saying, what I'm going to talk to you about are common practices in the Canaanite lands and were common practices in Egypt. And I want you to come out from among them. So here's what he's going to tell us. He's going to talk about sexual relations with relatives. Verse 6, none of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. So at this point in Leviticus, the Lord says there is no inner family marriage. Now listen, guys, before we blow any circuits and somebody says, well, where did Cain get his wife? He got his wife from being a close relative to him. How's that work? Let me explain it to you. Adam and Eve were created perfect. We all understand that, right? There are no faulty genetic codes in their DNA. Zero. Absolute perfection. And they were told to be fruitful and multiply. But after, sometime after, some of the Jewish traditions say it was 40 days. We don't have any idea how long. But at some point, the fall of man takes place. And sin enters into the world. And the genetic code of mankind begins to be corrupted by death. Where there was no disease before, 
now there is. Where there was no death before, now there is. So, with the perfect gene pool the way it was, mankind was able to have marital relationships with relatives, whether far or close, without any fear of any genetic repercussions taking place. And that's how it ran for somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,500 years. And then God said, stop. No more. Why? Because the genetic code now had issues. And if a mother and father have children, their children are going to carry the same genetic defects. Whether they're dominant or recessive doesn't make any difference. Those genetic defects will still be within the people. And when they marry, they, their children have a greater chance of passing on those genetic defects. And on and on we go until the next thing you know, you have absolute morons. Because the genetic code is so weakened, there is no ability to understand, to rule, or to survive. Well, come on, Jackie. When did that ever happen? Well, you ever heard of Egypt? You ever wonder why Egypt's not a world power anymore? Because Egyptian royalty bred within their family until they reached a place where God said, your rulers are morons. Not morons because they're dumb. (laughs) Not morons because they're dumb, but morons because it's been bred into them. Defect after defect. Do we not see the same thing in England? Do we not see the same thing in France? Do we not see the same thing anywhere where they had a monarchy that practiced those same rules? But God, 2,500 years before those other monarchies decided to stop that practice, told the children of Israel, okay, guys, no, no more. Now, for you and I, you got to get in the mindset. For you and I, it's weird. It's crazy. We make jokes about Arkansas and, and you know, all that other stuff. But the point is, it's, it's weird to us because we've come to the point where we understand what that causes. You go back to the beginning, it was not always so. It was not always so. So when we look at it, realize this is the point where God made the change. You know what we discover, by the way, when we study DNA? We study DNA and we discover that all mankind came from two. Count them. Two. They can link them back to two people. Interesting, isn't it? Bible said that. Even tells us their names. Adam and Eve. So, one blood. It's funny because today we have racism. Right? But we all come from the same blood. We all come from the same place. And loosely termed, you and I, no matter who we marry, are marrying some type of a relation that can go all the way back to Adam and Eve. But what's God say? Not close. Not close. Long time ago he told us that. It was recent when modern man decided that was a good idea. So we want to try to keep this in mind. I don't think we're going to have any problems with it. But as we go through... Verse 7, the nakedness of your father, the nakedness of your mother, you shall not uncover. She's your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife, you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. By the way, before we disregard that, keep in mind 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 
the church was overlooking incest that specifically spoke about this verse as though it was okay. And Paul had to deal with that in 1 Corinthians 5. So we see those things still taking place. In verse, in verse 9, The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father, or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you will not uncover. The nakedness of your son's daughter, or your daughter's daughter, their nakedness you shall not uncover, for theirs is your own nakedness. Okay, again, the Bible indicating that that's part of your gene pool and it's going to create problems why is god telling his people this folks the nation of israel today the jewish people can can are so much more blessed than any other people group you pick i don't care who you pick there are are more fortune 500 businesses that are either run or were started by jewish people why there are more comedians that were jewish people there's more technology coming through the jewish people why because they applied god's word they applied god's word and as a result were blessed they were blessed still are blessed you do, do a search online and find out for yourself last time i was in israel they listed out all the fortune 500 companies that are based in israel and you would be blown away by how many how many scientists in germany uh were jewish how many scientists in Russia were Jewish? How many scientists in the United States? Now, does that mean that they're better than anybody else? No. I'm just saying it's pointing to what happens when we apply God's word. The Jewish people were healthy. The Jewish people applied the cleanliness laws and were not affected by the Black Plague like the rest of the world because they applied God's word. If we'll learn a lesson from history, you and I too can experience some of those same things. He goes on now. Verse 11, the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, begotten by your father, she's your sister. You will not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is near of kin to your father. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is near of kin to your mother. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. You shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. Now, as we look at verse 16, we should know that there is, there is a law that then calls the brother to take his brother's wife. Does anybody know what that law is? And when the brother died, it's called the Leverite marriage. When the brother died, the brother would take his brother's wife and raise up a child in his name. If they were childless, had no child, then the brother would do that so that his brother's name would be carried on. It was called the Leverite marriage. And understanding that helps us understand the book of Ruth, as we go through the book of Ruth. Okay, once again, you shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter, <clears throat> and her daughter, nor shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are near of kin to her. It's wickedness. Okay, no mother and daughter becoming your wives. He goes on to lay out then. 
Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. Can you think of an example in the scripture where that took place? Jacob, Leah and Rachel, right? Leah and Rachel. Now, that predates the law. That occurred before the law was given. Well, the point is, didn't we see that rivalry between Leah and Rachel? It's that same rivalry. The Lord says, no, don't, we don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Now, it wasn't Jacob's heart for that to happen, right? It was <clears throat> Uncle Laban, twisted Uncle Laban, uh, making life a little more of a challenge for, for Jacob. Of course, Jacob didn't help himself out in that situation either. Now, verse 19. Now, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness, as long as she is in her customary impurity, or when she has her period. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. So the Lord laying out, listen guys, when I'm calling you, why is he saying all this? Because these are the practices of the Canaanites and the Egyptians. And the Lord said, I don't want you to be like everybody else. This is how they live. This is how they exist. The Canaanite world, in fact, in Jericho, when they go in and take Jericho, the Lord said to them not even to take a garment. Why? Because the people were so polluted with venereal disease, God called them not to take any of the spoils. Don't take anything from here. Leave it alone. One man took something, you remember? And the children of Israel lost the next battle, looked up to the Lord, and the Lord said, there is sin in the camp. He had to deal with sin in the camp before they could move forward. So as we take a look, God wants his people step out of the old life, into the new life, away from the examples of everyone else. Verse 21, You will not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. What was Molech? Molech was a bronze statue with arms outstretched. It would be placed in a campfire approximately three feet tall. It would be heated up till he glowed red. And they would take their children and lay their children, infants, across the arms of Molech and let them burn. Why did they do that? They did it for prosperity. Prosperity. So that they would be, have good crops. So they would have more riches or that they would be more blessed. And we say, cannot believe someone would ever do something like that. And we do it in the Holy of Holies of the wombs of the mother. Same thing. A Molech, they would be burned in fire. We burn them with saline solution. doesn't make any difference. Might as well be acid. Same thing's taking place. Lord said, don't do this. Don't do this is not good. This is as far bad, as far wrong <coughs> as you can imagine. A lot of people want to know, when does life begin? Life begins conception, period. End of discussion. John the Baptist, the first time we see him moved by the Holy Spirit, he is only nine inches long in his mother's womb. And he leapt in her womb when Mary with Jesus was with Elizabeth. He leapt in his mother's womb, the scriptures say, being full of the Holy Spirit. Nine inches long, not even quite six months. So as we take a look at this, there's some crazy things that, that, that were going on. In fact, they named a particular valley 
in Israel, hell. It's a valley of Gehenna. Jesus would transfer that same name and use it as a name for hell. Why did they call it Gehenna? Well, they called it Gehenna because that's where they buried their trash. And that's the valley where the children of Israel burned their children. In Gehenna. That's where they would be offered. Now, I got a, an email I wanted to just share with you basically on some of the things that are going on in our own government and that are coming up. <clears throat> the Senate health care bill that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, I'm a big fan, is trying to pass in the U.S. House of Representatives uses taxpayer funds to pay for abortions. Every expert agrees that the passing of this piece of legislation will cost millions more lives and will be the largest expansion of abortion since Roe versus Wade. Because so much money is on the line for them, abortion industry lobbyists, their allies in the White House, the abortion advocates in Congress, are pulling out all the stops on Capitol Hill, twisting arms, making threat, promising payoffs, trying to squeeze out every last vote on the abortion-laden government takeover of health care. All of this is an effort to secure a vote this week to pass taxpayer-funded abortions. Speaker Pelosi has to secure 216 votes in the House of Representatives to pass the Senate bill, which does not include a pro-life protection against government-funded abortions that Michigan Democratic Congressman Bart Stupik has offered. News reports indicate that Pelosi is just a few votes away. A few votes away from giving Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry a multi-billion dollar government-funded bailout. And those things are happening right now, today, last week and this week in our nation's capital. We, I think, as a people, are called to action. Called to action, we can write letters, talk to our congressmen, our representatives, let them know where we stand. Ultimately, what does God call us to do? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will hear their cry from heaven, and I'll heal their land. In Ezekiel, the scripture declares that the judgment came upon Israel because God looked and he found no one to stand in the gap. No one to stand in the gap. So, we're called to stand in the gap. Pray for our people. For the same thing that was going on there is going on today. It's interesting because I remember when <coughs> my younger days when, when I was really into uh, the battle uh, against abortion, I remember that uh, the biggest thing that they always wanted to talk about were those cases of, of rape or incest when, when a child came about as a result. 98% of their rhetoric is less than point. of the cases, 98% of the rhetoric is less than 0.2% of actual abortions. Yet, every time you hear them talk, that's what's going to come out of their mouth. What's the bottom line? 
Baby doesn't fit in my life right now. And so that's the case. Now, hey, before you run too far down that road, you need to know this about me. In that period of time in my life when I was running rampant against the Lord, I funded two myself. My babies. So what does that mean? What does God do for us when we find ourselves running down that road? I remember one night sitting out on my back patio and I'm just crying out to the Lord and I really wanted to have a baby girl. And God, at the time, I had two baby boys and and, uh, our third child, uh, doctors had just said was going to be a boy and I was having my own little pity party out on the back patio and looking up to the Lord. I'm finally following the Lord and I cried out to him, God, I, you know, I just wish I could have had a baby girl. I just wish that I'd had a baby girl. And it was one of the few times I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God spoke to my heart and he said, she's already here. Well, it wasn't a voice from the Lord saying, you dirty, good for nothing. I can't believe it was a voice from God saying, listen. There, there are things that you've done that are going to bring repercussions you'll live with your whole life. I'll tell you today, not one day doesn't go by that I don't wonder what those babies' lives would have been like. Well, I never know. Now, I could spend all my time looking backwards, but the Lord and I, we've dealt with that issue. The Lord and I, we've dealt with forgiveness we've dealt with that which was needed to to bring life to my 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 name and the blood of jesus christ does what cleanses us from most of our sin all of our sin oh and now the lord says jackie she with me it's all right i love your kids more than you can and one day i'll meet her Until that time, I'm called. Occupy until I come. We've all got work to do, right? We've all got work to do. We can't waste our time worrying about the failures of our past or the failures of yesterday or the failures of today. What do we do with those failures? We wrap them up in a box. We lay them at the foot of the cross. We say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. What does he say? Forgiven. Paid in full. And now what do we do? We step away from the cross and we move toward Him, stepping away from the old life into the new. I need to know more of Jesus and less about all that. I need to draw unto Him, move closer to Him, and realize stories like mine happen every day. Every day. And those people are in need two things. Those people need someone there while they're going to those places to give them one last opportunity to stop and turn around. That's why we support the Pregnancy Crisis Center. Because that's what they are. They're a group of people that give them one last chance to do something different. Then what do they need? They need someone to come alongside after their world crashes and they can't believe what they've done and what's going on in their heart. And we need someone to tell them, you can be forgiven. 
And you can start new. And again, that's what the Pregnancy Crisis Center does. They do post-abortion counseling to help people deal with them issue, those issues that are in their life. Hey, you can put any kind of facade over it you want to. It's always there. I know. It's always there. And God called us 2,000 years ago not to do it. Don't do it. Don't offer your children up. Verse 22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. I don't know how else you can say that. That is as plain English as it's ever going to get. And we've had this discussion before. People say that they're born that way. Well, I don't care. I was born apparently unable to, to make right choices. And I did dumb things. Now, just because I was born that way, does that mean I should run rampant in the sin in which I was born? No. What did God say? Come out from among them and be different. Come out from among them and be different. It's no different in the homosexual communities. Homosexuality is a sin. The day is coming where you won't be able to say that anymore. And then I'll have a prison ministry. But the Word of God says homosexuality is a sin. Now, is it a worse sin than any of these others we've talked about? Not at all. Not at all. Can you be forgiven? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can I be a Christian and struggle in that area? As much as I can be a Christian and struggle with lying or any of the other sins that the Scripture talks about. What's the point? The point is I must agree with God. It's a sin. And I need forgiveness. And I need the Lord to work in my life. And that's why he's laying this out for us. I'm reminded of Isaiah, as we were studying Isaiah chapter 5, verse 18. It says, Woe to them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity, and sin, as it were, with a cart rope. That means those who flaunt their sin. Every year, Easter time, spring break, in Palm Springs, they have a white party. Gay pride uh, on steroids. For three days. And they draw their sin with with cart ropes they flaunt it and they say hey this is all good this is all okay and it's not okay it's not okay scripture lays it out for us verse 23 nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it it is perversion bestiality well surely only the bible talks about this uh no This junk still goes on today. It's perversion. Where does perversion take you? Folks, perversion doesn't just take you so far and say, well, that's good enough. It doesn't take you that far. Ted Bundy told the world why he became who he was. He was a a, a mass murderer. Killed, I don't even know the number of women. Killed and raped women. Tortured them. He said, if you want to stop people from becoming like me, burn Hustler. That's what he said. Why? Because perversion doesn't only take you so far. You start following that road, 
and the wages of sin is death. And they're not happy in this place. It's going to become more and more hardcore, more and more twisted, more and more perverse, until you find yourself in places you didn't ever think were possible. That's what God's Word says. Stay away from it. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things. For by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. Do you hear what he said? Why is he giving them the promised land? He's going to tell them that the land is vomiting out those people because they're so vile. Well, then how long before the land vomits us out? Verse 25, For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled. Hey, the Lord let the nations in Canaan be for 400 years. 400 years opportunity to turn away. 400 years, all they did was sink deeper in depravity. Deeper and deeper. Lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Isn't that the warning the Lord gives? How long before it happens? Right after Solomon, the nations divided, the land vomits them out. Some go to captivity in Assyria, some go into captivity in Babylon. But the Lord says, only for a time, 70 years, and I'll cure you. And that's what the Lord did. 70 years, he cured them of their idolatry, and they came back into the land. Until 70 A.D. 70 A.D., Jesus said, because they did not know the day of their visitation that the enemy of the prince who is to come, or the people of the prince who is to come, the prince who came was Titus Vespasian. He was a leader of the Roman army. That's why the, the scripture speaks of a revived Roman empire, the people of the prince who is to come. Titus Vespasian comes, and Israel ceases to be a nation for nearly 2,000 years. Until 1948. And in fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and 39, God brings the nation back. The prophetic clock begins to wind, and we proclaim we're in the last days. Because that's what Jesus said. These are the things that would take place. Once again, they're in the land. Verse 29, For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them will be cut off from among their people. By the way, just as a side note, We are experiencing today in the world an epidemic known as the AIDS epidemic. However, if the people held to the cleanliness laws of the book of Leviticus, there would be no epidemic. Why is there an epidemic? Because they have the right to have AIDS and infect as many people as they want. Oh, come on, Jackie, they don't really do that. Really? They don't? Because in that period of time, and and Kathy and my life, where we were dealing with HIV, there were two young twins, hemophiliacs. Never did anything wrong in their life other than being born in sin. These two young kids, six, seven years old, both had AIDS. How'd they get AIDS? 
They don't have sexual relations. How'd they get AIDS? Didn't get it from her parents. How'd they get it? Well, they nailed it down to a, a young man who had AIDS and realized that the rest of the world was not going to be paying attention to an epidemic that only infected homosexual community. So the homosexual community banded together and decided they would go give blood. That's what they did. Don't you remember that dentist that was convicted of infecting people with AIDS while they were on his table? Why did he do it? Why did they give it to those two boys? Those two boys died of AIDS. Before they were 13 years old, they were dead. Now listen, I'm not trying to cast blame or dispersions on any one community or the other. Mankind is capable of heinous evil. I don't care what mankind you are. Those of us in this room are just as capable of the same type of hatred. Given to the flesh, that's what we would do. The point is, if we followed God's law, it wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. Because as soon as someone was unclean, they were removed from society. And they would live together with other people that were unclean so that the infection wouldn't spread. That's why they stayed clean during the Black Plague. Listen, the scripture goes on and closes out in verse 30. Therefore, you shall keep my ordinance so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you, and that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God. Now, listen, guys. <clears throat> God is calling us to holiness. First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Peter says to us that God is calling us to holiness. For be ye holy as I am holy, says the Lord. God wants us to step out of the old and into the new. Well, of course it's hard. Yeah, it's difficult. Am I going to fail? Yep, I am. But does that mean I shouldn't attempt? I shouldn't try? I shouldn't pursue holiness? Just because I fail? What is... 1 John 1 9 tell me to do when I fail confess my sins and he is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness right and the next day his mercies are new every morning does he give me a new day sure and I have an opportunity that day and if I fall by 9.30 in the morning all I have to do is confess my sins and do what begin again until the next time, and what I do what? Confess my sins and begin again. Begin again. Move forward. Step out of the old and experience the true life that Jesus Christ wants to give each and every one of us. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this opportunity. We have to study your word and thank you for just the beauty of the book of Leviticus. I thank you, God, that, that you cared and that you laid these things out. And Father, if we, your people, would decide, this is who I am. Many of the struggles and issues in life that come calling that we 
the challenges that we need to overcome, we would be able to set aside simply by walking as you're calling us to walk. I thank you, God, that you made an account for when we fail. For we studied in the first seven chapters the sacrifices. When we mess up, we would bring the sacrifice, Lord, and you would forgive the shedding of blood brought the remission of sin. I thank you that that's true today. Only today, the book of Hebrews tells us we don't have to bring a sacrifice anymore for Jesus Christ was sacrificed once for all. So, in a relationship with you, we are clean. Father, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to make that step, to take that step, Lord, and experience the real life that you have for us. The, the beauty of, of, of life. Lord God, you said that you came to give us life and life more abundantly. I don't think we experience life apart from having life with you. We think we know it, but we don't know it, Lord. We can only experience life through the life giver. So, Lord, we just pray, God, your spirit would move in a mighty way. Father, help us to see, know, recognize the truth of your word. Your word is always true. Every man is a liar. And, Lord, we ask you would breathe life. You would breathe forgiveness, the remission of sin. That you would breathe into us, Father, that new glorious morning that we experience in you, Father, every time we ask you to forgive us. And you do it. Thank you that you make us new. And that all we need do is come out from among them and decide, I am not standing in that crowd anymore I want the world to know I follow Jesus Lord God we pray (coughs) you would equip us strengthen us so that we might be bold for you in Jesus name we pray Amen. amen